morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look upon your holy scriptures this morning, please guide our hearts and our minds and our thoughts by your Holy Spirit. Convict us this morning of the truth of your word. We pray for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Um, please sing out this morning if you can't hear. If that's, is that loud enough? Yeah. Um, today we've got a very interesting passage before us. Um, Ned, Ned said um, a few weeks ago, uh, Philippians was written by Paul while he was in prison. And it's a letter of encouragement to the church in Philippi. He wants to encourage them to live out their lives as citizens, not of earth, but as citizens of heaven. And he encourages them to serve God and also serve one another. And that's the encouragement that we have before us today. Um, As Cole just read, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. And uh, as we all know, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to see what it's there for. Uh, it means there's something previous that um, gives it some meaning, gives you, gives, you come to a conclusion, we need to know the logic behind the conclusion, right? So, um, and this morning we actually have a double, a double therefore. We have a therefore, one in, in this one in verse 12, we have also another one in verse 9. So let me read from verse 8 uh, in chapter 2. Sammy, if you can, you got that one? Um, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, is that fitting, do you think? If Jesus has done something that enables everyone in the universe to be saved, I reckon everyone in the universe should bow down and call him Lord. He's done something that absolutely no one else could do enabling the salvation for all mankind. And so it's actually right that God's lifted him to the highest place. And so we come to our therefore in verse 12, in view of all this, we have a responsibility as to how we should live. Now Paul's talking to Christians here. He's talking to Christians who have always obeyed, who have walked in obedience to the gospel. He's saying, keep keep going. Work out your own salvation with fear and and trembling. One thing I want to say at this point is that obedience is the trait of a Christian life. It's 
it's not a dirty word. In some circles, sometimes people think it is. It's actually not. Obedience is the outworking of our salvation. When Almighty God saves you and he says, hey, you're going the wrong way. Follow me. You obey. As we obey, God sanctifies us. Now, sanctify is a word that we see in the Bible quite a lot, and it means God is making us holy. He's purifying us. Now, this is not how you become a Christian. You become a Christian by God's grace, and it's totally by God's grace that you stay a Christian. But along the way, he refines us. He guides us so that our character becomes more like his character. And that's what work out your own salvation means. Our obedience is a participation in God's work of sanctification. Now, there's lots of Bible verses about obedience. Um, Philippians, I'll just read a few. Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And Paul's saying here that he presses on in obedience because he's a Christian, because Christ has made him his own. Romans 6.17 says, But thanks to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says that Jesus will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.36, whoever doesn't obey the Son does not see life. And 1 John 3.23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of this Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So what we see is faith and obedience are locked up together. James 2.17 says, it tells us that faith without works is dead. If you get that around the wrong way, if you put obedience first, then what you have is a really nice person on the way to hell. Jesus called the scribes and the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. That whitewashed tomb is something that looks very clean on the outside. It's a tomb that's painted brilliant white. But on the inside, there's a rotting corpse. There's something rotten and it stinks. Christian obedience is something very different. Paul said, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if Paul had stopped there, we would have something very different to the grace-filled and God-empowered life that we know as Christians today. If he'd stopped there, We'd be left on our own trying to figure out how to live the Christian life with fear and trembling. And the end result would be fake Christians, whitewashed tombs. But 
Just as we had a therefore at the beginning, we also have a for in the middle of the passage. And this part of the verse is so important. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For those who have faith, God works in us. Notice the will and the work. He works in our mind, changing us from the inside out. He works in us so that our will wants to do the work of God. And he enables our work. And so we do God-glorifying work, which is for his good pleasure. It's very pleasing to him. It's actually the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for the bit in the middle. Now for the bit that we struggle to get our head around. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does this mean? And um, when you go to the Greek to look out, to find out what the word work out means, actually no surprise, it means to produce. It means to bring about. It means to pursue. It doesn't mean to think or to ponder. It's actually a doing word. And we're going to look at a few other places in the Bible that Paul uses this word. Uh, Romans 5.3 says, not only, but, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Produces is the word. It's the doing word. Romans 7 verse 8, but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So that is what work out means. Now this sounds weird, right? But Paul is addressing Christians here, not non-Christians. And in salvation, he's not talking about initial justification. When we see the word salvation there, he's not talking about our justification. Because that is by faith alone, and it's never working. Paul is talking about obedience here that produces our salvation. Now that just sounds like heresy, doesn't it? But it's not. And and it's for, that word for in there, because it's God who works in you. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. There are quite a few other places in scripture that seem to say that we work towards our salvation. I'm going to give you a couple. Uh, Philippians 3:14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining towards, sorry, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, uh, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the uh, prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Another one in 1 Timothy 4:16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And in Luke 13, 23, Jesus said, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will enter and will try to enter and not be able to. So I think you could say the word work out means continuous, sustained effort. 
So how is this not salvation by works? Now, I'll explain. From the scriptures, there are three, three things that we need to know about our salvation. We need to know, Christians, you have been saved. Christians, you are being saved. And Christians, you will be saved. Saving faith is faith that endures to the end. Saving faith is not faith that makes a commitment to Christ and then walks away and never returns. We can work out our salvation because Christ has already secured it. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're not talking about salvation by works here because God does the work from start to finish. He justifies us. That means that Jesus took the punishment for our sins. It means like we've never sinned. He sanctifies us. And that means he works in us going on purifying us. And the word salvation here in this verse is not referring to justification. It refers to our sanctification. It refers to how we live every day. This is what we have to participate in. Often, I would say that to work out our salvation means to live for Christ every day, allowing him to mould and shape us. I want to tell you, and I've probably told you this before, about a time in my life when I was struggling to know what I should do with my life. I was living as a farmer in Beverly, I was a young fella, and I was really struggling. It was an ongoing prayer. God, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Is this the right thing? Is this not the right thing? And God's got a sense of humour and he's very gracious, and I can see that in hindsight. And I, feel, I felt like he spoke into my heart and says, Rob, I want you to be a Christian farmer. Ironically, I was already a farmer. Ironically, I was already a Christian. But in my head, bringing the two together made me ask some questions about how I should live about how I should farm. How should I trust God? How should I view other people that I bump into every day? I began to see the fuel men, the employees, the different people that I see every day differently. I don't think, I don't think anyone would have noticed that I changed from the outside, but it revolutionised the way that I thought. And all of a sudden, I was at peace knowing that it was okay just to be a farmer. This was God working in me, working out my salvation. He was guiding my will and also empowering my work. As I ponder this verse here before me today, I'm struck by the importance of it. 
Work out how you go about your life as a Christian with fear and trembling. This is no small matter. It calls for sober judgment. I'm, I'm surprised that Paul didn't say, you know, just, just think about how you live your life and then just rattle on to the next thing, you know. But he's made a, a really big point of stressing how important this is in a Christian's life. How will I live tomorrow? How will I live this afternoon? Will I pray? Will I let sin reign? Or will I repent? Will I serve? Or will I seek to be served? Will I have selfish ambition? Or as verses 2 to 4 say, will I look lovingly to the interests of others? And as usual, Paul gives a couple of examples of what... um, working out your salvation might not look like. And as Sal said, grumbling and disputing. Do Christians grumble? Like, surely. Surely not. We can be spectacular grumblers. Spectacular. Someone moved the church organ. This is not right. That's not right. Out of church. Life's not fair. And I, I, I think what a pathetic and terrible witness to the joy of being a child of God it is when we grumble. It's so funny, isn't it? Like, I sneer at the Israelites for grumbling in the desert. Just less than two weeks after being saved from the Egyptians, going through the Red Sea, getting to the other side, and the first thing they do, grumble. I think of what an ambassador is. Can you imagine an ambassador for Australia being overseas, representing Australia and bagging Australia out the whole time? That would, you'd sack them. And yet, we do that with God sometimes, don't we? We grumble. We say, God, this lot that you've given me in life is not fair. We can see the stupidity in that. But what I can say to you is that we cannot positively do this in our own strength. Only God can do it. Only God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 15 says that God's plan for us is that we might be a blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Not whinging and longing for the things of this this world, but holding fast to the gospel, the word of life. As Christians, we we do not hold onto the good things that we do as if we would achieve something. See, to shine a light in the world doesn't mean people look at us and, oh, he's really good, he doesn't sin. It doesn't mean that at all. 
It means that we've bathed in the light of Christ. We've clung on to the word of life, the word of the gospel, the word that cleanses us. Because he's our, he's our source, he's our journey and he's our goal. He causes us to will and work for his good pleasure. He cleanses us and he keeps on cleansing us. When the world sees a Christian's light, it's not the purity of the Christian by his own good deeds. It's the cleansing from Jesus through his blood shed on the cross. That brings us to a point this morning. We're going to have, we're going to have communion. Um, as we come to the communion table, can we just um, can we gather the children um, to be the parents? And um, as you come out this morning, if you can kind of come out um, with your kids and your families and just help um, help supervise that activity, that would be really good.